If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But before we get into that, as you're doing that, we got a couple announcements. So Lydia has an announcement about um, children's ministry. And then Darlene, start making your way up. Darlene has a message as well, or an announcement as well. All right, so I do have an announcement about children's ministry. I have actually an opportunity. Um, if you're looking for a place to get plugged in, we could really use some help next door in the children's ministry. Um, we have some amazing, amazing volunteers over there who do a fantastic job. Um, but to be honest, they're just serving too much. So um, they would never complain. However, we don't want to burn them out. So if you're looking for a place to serve and you are currently not serving in a ministry sphere, um, I would really encourage you to, to pray about so serving in children's ministry. It is an amazing opportunity. We do feel like children are a priority here. That it's not babysitting. Um, we actually just in the last month have completely restocked every room with brand new toys and lots of things to make it fun for them. We also have an amazing team who puts together our curriculum for us. So if you're like, I'm not a teacher and I don't really know what I'm doing, that's okay. We do it for you. So um, you'll have a box ready for you on Sunday morning that has all of your supplies, your curriculum, all of those things in it ready to go for you. Um, if you don't want to teach at all and you just want to love on some babies, that's my favorite place to be. We do have our nursery, <laughs> and we do have a two-year-old nursery as well, um, which is a ton of fun, which is really just playing and, and singing Jesus loves me to the kids, and I think we're all qualified to do that. So anyways, um, we really, really could use some new volunteers. If you are interested, um, it, the commitment is not big. We serve usually try to make it to where the volunteers only have to serve once a month. If that's even too much, we can spread you out a little bit more than that. Um, but we are looking for help. So anyways, if you're interested, you can see myself um, or Jackie. And um, just a, a note, when you do see those gals serving next door and those guys, uh, make sure and thank them because they do an amazing job with our kids and teaching them the love of Jesus. So anyways, if you are interested, um, pray about it, think about it, talk to me or talk to Jackie. We'd love to have you join our family. All right. Awesome. Thank you. For those of you that don't know me, <clears throat> my name is Darlene, and I'm the prayer coordinator for Solicitor's Calvary Chapel. Um, just to start, my vision and my, um, my hope is that we become like Jesus wants, and he's, as he says, that my house will become a house of prayer. Amen. So what I'm up here to encourage everybody is to please respond to prayer. I know there's many needs here. And uh, so that's our heart as a prayer team. We have a, a prayer team that comes up front. We'll pray, we can pray for you up here. And we've now opened up the room in the back. So after service, you can just make your way back there. And, and feel free to come. We're going to be practicing social distancing. And we'd love to just pray for your needs. That's our heart. Um, we do have a guideline as a church that we can all participate in. Um, and what it is, it's a, it's a guideline that you can spend 15 minutes, an hour, however long you want to, daily, weekly, just praying for the needs and the ministries, the people, for the body of Christ. And so I would encourage you that there's a, uh, they're on the table out there in the gathering room to pick one up and, you know, read through it and let see if, and just let God move on your heart to, to pray as need because there's so many needs, so many prayers, so many, ah, it's crazy with the way things are these days. Also, we have the purple prayer cards. They're behind the seats. There should, they should be behind the seats. I encourage you, take them. 
fill them out with your prayer requests. And what we do weekly is we, as a prayer team, there's about 20 of us. We pray for them. It's kept confidential. And we intercede on your behalf to really believe God to do change and bless your lives and see freedom, see, see hope, see good just come out of it all. Amen? Thank you. All right. Awesome. So I didn't, I didn't see you had that prayer card. Yeah, I was just going to encourage everybody. Um, the prayer cards are in the seat back in front of you. You can fill that out. You can put your name on it or not, whatever you want to do. Um, if you do want a pastoral call, you can check the box there and fill it out. There's two black boxes in the back. One's for prayer requests. The other one's for the love offering. So drop that in. We're committed. Um, um, Darlene and Kevin and their team are committed to be praying for you guys on a regular basis. I think we rotate these in every couple of weeks. So if you have a prayer request you left a couple of weeks ago and you want us to continue to pray, drop it in again. And then also we, as a church, you know, like, the, like Darlene said, the Bible says Jesus said something super important. I think it's something we should like all hinge on. But Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. And, you know, as, as, we, as we started this church and, and really in any ministry, the key is always the same. One of the things that the pastor has to do is he has to get the church to pray. And then after he does that, he has to get the church to keep praying and then keep praying and then keep praying. And really, we want to have a testimony that we're a church that prays and that, you know, and, and I tease and I've taught through prayer a bunch of different times. And, you know, that, that praying doesn't mean when someone asks you for a prayer, you text them a praying hands emoji, you know, like. That, that you actually have to get on your knees and pray. But as a Christ follower, it's one of the disciplines that um, we have to be intentional and practical about as a people who pray. And, and, I, and I know, I know prayer, prayer life is a struggle as Christ followers to be um, daily, diligently getting alone. Jesus said, when you pray, he didn't say if you pray, he said, when you pray, go into your closet, close the door so that nobody will see you and your father in heaven will reward you. So if you're like this amazing prayer warrior, the truth is nobody will know it. Because you're always in there. No, actually they will. Because when you gather with other believers and you begin to pray, people will know. They'll hear it because they know that that's something you're practicing at home and alone. So this, this is just a creative way for us as a church to encourage our body to be a people who pray. This is a prayer guideline. So basically it just means that you can walk right down it. You can read it. We've listed all the different prayer requests that we have as a ministry. We've even wrote out some actual prayers that you can pray. But it's just intended to, to get you alone. Take this in your prayer closet. Spend some time with it each week. Um, pray through it. And then um, there's lots of blank space on there. I encourage you to write on it. Write your family members' names on it and different prayer requests that you have. And these are available all the time. When you fill one up and you finished it, throw it away and start a new one. So, you know, encourage you guys in those, in those two things. Amen? And then... Um, the coffee shop also could use some help, and so Amber and Josh, um, Sam and Rick have been working really hard in the coffee shop, and so we've had a couple of people that aren't back yet. That um, So if you want to volunteer or help or serve in the coffee shop, um, you can see Amber or Josh today right after service, and they'd love to have some more help in there. I want to share a scripture with you guys before we start in 1 Corinthians, um, and it says, um, Jesus is speaking in, Ma in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 9, and he says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But, listen, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep with no shepherd. And he said to the disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers 
into his harvest. And that's what we've done this morning is we're praying that God would send some of you guys out, some to the children's ministry, some to the coffee shop, some to the prayer ministry, and, and that you would get involved in, and serve. You know, I was a children's pastor for 15 years before I came here as a senior pastor. And I'll tell you one thing, and I had a, I had, you know, a church about 3,000 people. My Sunday school staff, volunteer staff, was 100, I had 100 people on the volunteer staff, um, 12 paid employees. And one, one thing we never had in 15 years, anyone take a wild guess? Enough volunteers. And every children's conference I went to over the years, I've been to 15 of them, it was the same all over the place. Actually, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, where Ch- Pastor Chuck was, was the pastor, he would say, oh yeah, we have a waiting list in children's ministry. Chuck Smith never lied in his life except for that one time. You don't have a waiting list. You're like the rest of us, man. You're constantly. But you know what? We, we, we just do. We have turnover, and, and, and it's just, just an area where, where there's opportunity to serve, and we could use some help. So, again, um, pray about it. And, again, no matter where you are, we'll, we'll, we'll plug you in slow, and uh, we won't overwhelm you. We won't take you to the deep end and throw you in. We'll let you wade slow through it. Amen? All right. And, again, just, just as Christ followers, you know, it's, it's good to serve somewhere, wherever that is. And, and serving can, again, just be as simple as, holding babies in the nursery. Um, you know, it's like in, the, in, the, in Israel, there's two major bodies of water, the Sea of Galilee in the north and the Dead Sea in the south. The Sea of Galilee dumps into the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea has no outlet, and it's full of salt. It's actually fun. You go there, and you float in it, and you cover yourself in Dead Sea mud, and you can't sink in it because it's got so much salt in it. They tell you, don't put your, your head underwater because it is so nasty. Like, chemical-wise, it feels like that. But... Um, but it's totally dead. No life in the, in, the, in the salt. I want to call it the Salton Sea. That's not the Salton Sea. The Dead Sea, the Salton Sea, yeah. Um, and then in the north is the Sea of Galilee. And the Jordan River comes in one end and out the other, and it's teeming in life. And it's a biblical picture of, as, as Christ followers, when you come to church, you receive. And, and you have the Jordan River coming in one side. You're worshiping. You're receiving the Word of God. But without an outlet, you can become like the Dead Sea. And, and no life can live in you. Because the things that God pours into you, you have to also pour them out so that they'll grow, so that your life will be healthy. And so one of the disciplines of being a Christ follower is serving Jesus somewhere. And you know what? It's for you, and it's for you to have an outlet in order for God to be able to work through you and in you. And, and you know, like when, when you teach, you know, I can hear a message, and I can retain a certain part of it. But if I teach a message then I retain 100% of it. You know, it's like it's a big difference between just hearing it and giving it out. You know, or if I hear something and I'm like, you know, it really just touched my spirit. And it was like, oh, that was so good. You know, week two, I'll forget. But if I go and I share that with somebody else, hey, look, this is what I heard. This is what the pastor said. Check this out. Isn't this cool? Like, then it's like, it's a part of me now. I remember it and I retain it. So it's important. Amen? All right, if you have your Bibles, I already said this, but if you have your Bibles, open them up. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Does anybody know where we're headed right now? Like, Nobody's scared yet? Is one knee smoting the other? If you, yeah, my wife is definitely scared. I got to talk this morning because this chapter is all about sex. It's all about marriage. Um, it's about life. So we're going to try to keep it PG because we got some, some junior high students in here. Um, so we'll do our best. But it is an adult message today. And the good news is, is the message is for everybody. If you're single in here today, this chapter is for you. If you're married in here today, this chapter is for you. If you're happily married, if you're unhappily married, if you're um, in a marriage and you want out of it, this message is for you today. If you're not in a marriage and you want in it, you want in one, this marriage is, this message is for you today. Because Paul is going to cover the entire gamut of 
marriage in questions. Now, one of the things I want you to draw your attention to right away is in chapter 7, verse number 1, it says, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, what's fascinating about this particular chapter and the way that it lays out, and you don't get this really anywhere else in the Bible that I know of, where um, they actually wrote, this is like a Q&A message. They actually wrote Paul a letter with a bunch of questions and Paul is addressing and answering questions. Now, what he doesn't give us, it'd be nice if Paul gave us their letter as well, and he, he showed which question they asked, and then he would answer it. But he doesn't do that. So we just kind of have to, as we go through this, guess what their question was. But how cool would it be? How would you guys like an assignment where you get to write the Apostle Paul a letter and ask him any question that you want about Christianity, about, amen, right? Christ following, it's like Revelation 2 and 3 when Jesus writes the report card that's for the churches, like specifically for our church, those are yes and amen moments. And so we get this, um, again, this, this letter that Paul is going to write in response to some questions they were asking him. Now, primarily, Paul is speaking to believers in this chapter, okay? So I just want to qualify that. If you're with us today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're why we exist. You're welcome here. And... Hopefully you'll grow and gain from this, but this is this message is addressing Christ followers and the rules that go with them. You're really not bound under these as if you're not a Christ follower and these rules, you just, until you become a Christ follower, then these things apply. I got a good option for you. You can just ask Jesus in your heart right now, and then you can become a Christ follower, and then this message will apply to you as well today. And the Word of God always applies to everybody anyways. Um, now... As we get into marriage, I want to share with you guys something before we start that um, to kind of keep it all in context as we go through there. I want you to put up these parameters, these parentheses around everything that we're going to talk about today, that we're going to go over today, that the main point is always the same. It's our personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Okay, so marriage is not intended to make you happy. Okay, look at your spouse. If you're here with your spouse and say not happy. How about happy wife, happy life? Some of you guys, you know, like we get that right. Oh, I got one more disclaimer. Okay. All these messages, I want you today to look at your elbow and say, not today. (laughs) Okay. No elbows today. Put your elbows away. And I want you to get out your little mirror and say yes today. So this message is not to to elbow your spouse when uh, I'm talking to them. If you're doing that, you're missing what God is wanting to speak to your heart today. Because this is a get out a mirror and look in the mirror message. You know, I did a lot of marriage counseling over the years. I, I just, I'm going to digress for a minute, but bear with me. And this is not going to be a short message. I'm not even going to tell you guys we're getting out on time today. I'm not even going to try, okay? I didn't preach last week, so I'm going to preach double. And by the way, Dave, I heard he did an amazing job last week. So let's help thank Dave and his family. So um, he's going to preach for me again in uh, September. My son Luke is off to college and my niece is getting married in the same week. So it worked out, one in Phoenix, one in Palm Springs. So just yesterday, Lydia and I decided to uh, um, go to the wedding and, and to take, take Luke to college. So, But anyways, um, I, I showed up in Bible college, 20 years old, 1998. Uh, se- no, we got married in 98. September of 1996, 20 years old. And um, I met this 12-year-old girl that was um, in the elementary school. No, I'm just kidding. I'm five and a half years older than Lydia, so... Um, so we, uh, now I just got embarrassed. I'm like, uh Oh, we didn't start dating until she was 17 and we got married a month after she turned 18. 
She graduated high school. I'm not kidding. She graduated high school on Thursday, on Tuesday, and we got married on Saturday. Yeah, and I graduated college, Bible college on Wednesday. She graduated high school on Tuesday. We had our wedding rehearsal on Thursday, and um, we got married on Saturday. So anyways, I get to Bible college, and anyways, Lydia and I ended up, we got married in 1998. In September, June of 1998, um, Lydia and I had just got married. The church offered me a full-time position as a staff pastor, making $12,000 a year. To I was making less than I work working at McDonald's, and um, to be the children's pastor, my job was to oversee newborn through sixth grade, and, and then the job just grew into a million other things. I was coaching. I was working in the school office um, on a weekly basis, and so being married to, and if you guys don't know, Lydia's dad is the senior pastor at our church, and so we've been married like a month, and dad comes to me, or he brings me in his office, and he goes to his bookshelf, and he starts pulling all these books off his shelf. I'm not kidding. When he's done, he's got a stack of books like this big. They're every book he had on marriage. He hands them to me and he says, here, I want you to go through these. I want you to come up with four premarital, premarital counseling sessions. You're going to do all my premarital counseling now. I'm like, you know, I've been married like a month, right? He's like, yeah, but you're married to my daughter. So you're going to be the king. You're going to be the master at marriage and every, you know, and these. so I got to come up with these four premarital counseling sessions and, and I'm studying all these books and he's walking me through it and four one-hour sessions, and then anybody who comes to the church that wants to get married, they come with Lydia and I, and we do four one-hour sessions, and the dad will do the actual wedding, but we're doing all the premarital counseling. So we have to go through all these books, you know, marriage books, and I've been through every one of them, and um, just on and on and on and on. And, and doing, so we did that. So Lydia and I have done that for all of our married life since we were young, and dad's plan was, I guess it would make me a good husband, but sorry for Lydia, it didn't work. Um, but we've done lots of marriage counseling over the years, way when I was way young in the ministry and not ready for it, and, and I grew in that area and actually developed a, a real passion for marriage ministry. I think one of the most fruitful stages of life that God used Lydia and I in was about a seven-year um, period in Joshua Springs when we were hosting our couple study in our home because we just did life in church together with about 40 couples, and over the, over the seven years, every one of them to this day are, are really close friends. And God just brought a lot of fruit. Some of them God raised up to be pastors through that group and leaders and missionaries and just tons of fruit through the marriage ministry. So we've always had a passion for it. One of the mistakes I made in, um, in marriage counseling in my early years was, and it's very easy to do, is a, is a wife would come in, a husband would come in, and they would be heartbroken and they would be sharing and they would want to talk about the other person a lot. And I would start to take their side and be like, yeah, you're right. And, you know, this and then. And, and what I realized over the years was as, as, as much as I was sympathetic towards this person and their problems, we never one time fixed the other person by talking about the other person. And, and so I, 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 you know, I, made, I admitted that I was wrong. I made a mistake. that This was not healthy in counseling. And so I developed kind of an policy now when somebody would come in, I would just tell them up front, listen, I'm not willing to talk about the other person because the other person is not here and we can't change the other person. And, and as much as we, you know, but what we can do is we can affect change in you and in your heart and in your life. And if you'll be willing to get out a mirror and look at where you're right and where you're wrong and focus on you becoming a better Christ follower, you becoming a better Christian then, and a better spouse, then we can start to um, affect change in your marriage. And, and again, where I started with all of this was that God's design for marriage is not to make us happy. And there is a lot of happiness that's, that's 
that's supposed to be in our marriage, but really the ultimate design of God, because God put it completely upside down. The, the design of marriage is to make you more like Jesus. This, these are the two rules in marriage. And I want us all to know this, okay? Ephesians 5.33. If you're a married couple, if you're single, if you're going to be married one day, you want you to memorize and know this verse. It's the staple of marriage in all of the Bible. Ephesians 5.33 If I tell you to memorize it, I should have it memorized, so I don't need to turn there. I won't turn there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and see that he gave himself for her, and let a wife see that she respects her husband. That's that's the summary of Ephesians chapter 5, which is the key in marriage. Now, now the crazy thing is, is that we, people say, why doesn't the Bible say more about marriage? Why isn't there a manual? Well, the reality is we live in a culture and a time today where there are more marriage books, there's more marriage counseling, there's more counselors and opportunities for help for your marriage today than any other time in history, and yet the divorce rate is still higher than it's ever been. So all this information and all this stuff, the Bible doesn't need to do that. Actually, what God did was he did exactly the opposite in marriage for you and me. He kept it very, very, very simple And he kept it to one rule for husband and one rule for the wife. And and only as God can do that if a husband covers this one rule, it will cover all the 365 other million things your wife needs you to do to be a good husband. And for a wife, that was kind of just a joke. One guy got it. Um, And and for a wife, one rule that that will meet her husband's needs. Found in Ephesians 5.33. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And let a wife see that she respects her husband. And God really does keep it that simple. Because what God did when he created man and woman, and I don't care where you are, I was counseling a friend I grew up with. His name is Mike Chow. He grew up two doors down from me. We were the same age. And we were road dogs for about 15 years before he moved back to Taiwan. I I flew to Taiwan and I did his wedding. And um, we remain good friends to this day. And I remember talking to Mike one time and he was telling me about his marriage. And, and, and I was giving him biblical counsel, and he was saying, no, Chris, you don't understand. Chinese women are different. We live in a different culture. Like, you know, Chinese women over here, they do what they're told, you know. Like, and, he was, he, and, and I was trying to explain to him, I don't care if you're in China, if you're in a hut in Africa, if you're in Beverly Hills, God created all women with the same need and desire because they're created in the image of God wherever they are. And that image that God created a woman is, and the need that God gave you as women is to be loved. And what's, what's countercultural is that God didn't give the same need to a man to be loved. And in and society and outside of God, people don't understand this, but a man's number one need and is not to be loved, but it's to be respected. And so the way God designed marriage was he put these two magnets together that are positively charged in the opposite direction. Because a man's number one need is to be respected, and a woman doesn't understand how to respect. It's not, it's not normal to her. How do, how do women function? Women function in love. That's what God created them naturally for. You put two women together, how do they act? Oh, you're so cute. Oh my gosh, your hair is so pretty. You got your nails done. Oh, I love it. They naturally understand love. It's the way God created them. You put two guys together, you bum, dude. You, you put on deodorant today? What's wrong with you? You're still driving that piece of junk out there? Like... You know, and we won't disrespect each other because then we got to go outside and roll around on the ground because that's what guys do. But we, we understand intuitively and naturally, we understand respect. And women understand love. So if God didn't want to make these magnets repel in the wrong direction, all he had to do was make a woman's number one need to be respected. I can do that. That comes natural to me. 
and make my number one need to be loved because a woman understands that. But God flipped it. Now I, who, who, who have been born and created, and let me tell you one more thing as we get into this. Don't forget where I was because I'll rabbit trail and I'll forget to get back. Um, listen, God created, this is what it says in Genesis, God created them male and female. We read that and we think there's no theology, there's no doctrine, there's nothing special in that verse. Listen, there's so much theology in that verse. God created a male and he didn't make a mistake when they grunt and they just make noises and they don't know how to communicate and they smell and they're insensitive. In the image of God, he created them. You know, you take, you take two guys... Um, camping for a weekend, right? What would we want to do? If me and you were going to hang out, we'd go camping. We'd sit shoulder to shoulder with our fishing poles and our guns. When we killed something, we, we might high five and make a noise. For a week, we would sit there and just kill things shoulder to shoulder and have a great time, right? You take two women and you put them away for a week. They're going to sit face to face. In a week, they're going to know everything about their brothers, sisters, dogs, mailman's cousin. And all the details from A to B. I could come home from the camping trip and my wife could say, you know, how's Rick's wife? Rick's married? Yeah, how are his kids? Rick has kids? You know, like, this is just different. God created them male and female. And very what? Very different. But not, and here's what the problem is. You women think that God created your man with flaws and only if he would act like your girlfriends, then your marriage would be good. Let me tell you what you don't want. You don't want a boyfriend that acts like a girlfriend. You got a boyfriend. You don't want a boyfriend that looks like a girlfriend. And, and, and men, we're the same way. We understand respect, and we just think, man, if our wives would just respond like our, like our, like our bros would, then we'd get along better. But listen, men, you don't want a woman that acts like a bro. You don't want a woman that, that responds that way. Okay? So God created a male and female. Now, where was it? Because I said I was going to get back to there after that point. Love and respect. So again, so God, God creates these opposite magnets that, that I don't function in well. And then this is what he says. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now let me just comment. That's an impossible commandment. That's impossible in the flesh. I can't love my wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Oh, man. He died for her, literally. They put a bag on his head and they punched him. So men, if you want to do counseling, we do counseling. We love to counsel you in your marriages and your lives. But listen, if you come and you, oh, my wife, she does this to me. Did she put a bag on your head and punch you? No. Did she spit on you as she ripped your beard out of your face? Don't whine, dude. <laughs> because Jesus did that for his bride, you. And then he said to love, his, his, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so again, in order for me to do that, in order for me to accomplish this impossible command that God gave me, what do I have to do? I have to become more like Jesus. What does my wife have to do to learn respect and how to show me respect? The whole concept is so foreign to us. I remember when we were, we were studying one of these marriage books, Lydia and I, I think it was Waffles and Spaghetti, and um, it talks about these, that, that women process life like spaghetti. Everything touches everything, and it's, you know, like all the emotions touch the other emotions, and they all go together. But men process um, life like a waffle, and everything's in a box. 
The TV's a box, the bed's a box, the bedroom's a box. And then it talks about there's, it, men, we have this thing called a nothing box. And, 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 and women have no content. Lydia looks at me, she's like, does that, is that like, does that really exist? Can you really go to a box where nothing is going on in your mind? Like you can't, re- that's not physically possible, right? And I'm like, no, it is. It really is, is physically possible that I can just go into this nothing box. And, you know, and so for her to get into my world, there's only one way and meet the need that God gave me. There's only one way that's going to happen. Is that she is going to have to rely on God's Holy Spirit to change her, to make her more like Jesus, to make her die to herself. So in all of your problems in marriage, they're not your spouse. They're you. And they're you learning this process because you can affect change by looking in a mirror, by, by focusing first on your relationship. And this was all this parentheses, right, that I wanted you to put this whole... We haven't even gotten into verse 1 yet. Actually, I read verse 1, so I'm safe. But um, is that it's all about your relationship with Jesus. You want to have a really good marriage? You fall crazy in love with Jesus? You know what's going to happen? Your marriage is going to get better. You fall crazy in love with Jesus, your whole life is going to get better. Not that it's going to be without problems. Jesus said as a Christ follower, you're going to have trials and tribulations and problems. I'm not preaching Disneyland. But I'm definitely preaching that, that, that this is the focus as we get into this chapter and into marriage. Amen? All right. One, uh, let's look at verse number... Okay, so number one, it, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Paul is confirming, yes, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. This is physical touch. This is sexual touch. This isn't like you're it or, ooh, you got the cooties touch. This is, this is like Adam knew his wife, you know, biblical knowing. Um, and so in this, the question I'm assuming right away, and, and what, what was, here's what was happening with the Corinthians and one of the questions they had asked, is that now that we're Christ followers, is it better for us that are married that we should abstain from sex so that we can be better servants of Jesus Christ? That we would just be fully committed to Jesus and that that, that particular act in life is it's not necessary only for having kids? And listen, the church has fought this kind of prevailing idea over the years and centuries that where some have taught that, that, that sex is bad, that God only gave it to us so that you could have kids and then other than that, you don't do it. Well, that's, that's not true at all. God, God gave it to us for pleasure, for intimacy, for connection. And that, you know, and so Paul is saying, yes, it's good that a man doesn't touch a woman, but no, if you're married, you act like a married person. This was going to say here in verse two and three. If you're unmarried, you act like an unmarried person. Okay. And so he's going to really put away that idea of, of celibacy or as a, as a, as a, as a Christ follower, that you're somehow more religious are more more um, spiritual if you're celibate. That's not true. He's going to make the case as we go through the chapter that you're not more religious whether you're married or you're celibate, but that you act and you behave in whatever situation God has put you in. God has put you in a single situation, then you stay single or you, you, know, you honor that stage until it changes. And then in verse 2 he says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, everybody say sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? Any sex outside of marriage. Okay, and then it says, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Okay, very simple, very theological, one man, one woman united in in God's design for marriage. But let each man have his own wife and let the wife see and let let each woman have her own husband and let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. 
The wife does not, I know you men are getting excited right now. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Should I read it again? That's good right there, right? That's Bible right there. Especially for us guys, we love this verse. So Paul's saying that, that in the area of sexual intimacy, that they, in a, as a married couple, what is the principle of being married? The two shall become one flesh, right? And, and that in, through sexual intimacy, God does something where he literally ties two souls together. That's why God hates divorce. Because, because the world and Satan has perverted it, and they want to paint the picture to be just a physical act. Listen, sexual intimacy is a spiritual act. It's like, I think like Patrick Swayze on Ghost, where it's like going, you know, it's like it, literally something in the spirit is happening. And God is taking two souls and he's knitting them together. And, and you know, as, as the tighter those are knit, and the longer they're knit, divorce just absolutely tears and rips lives. There's no two ways around it. If you take two pieces of construction paper and you glue them together and you put them out in the hot sun, Lydia and I have been married 22 years, and if you come back after 22 years and you try to separate those two pieces of paper, what's going to happen? It's not going to happen without tearing and ripping the other one. And then if you take children and you put children on top of that, and you glue, the, every time you have a child, you glue another piece of paper on there. That what, as you try to separate this, this, this paper or this family, what's going to happen to every party involved? It's going to rip and it's going to tear. Now listen, I want to tell you, the Bible says God hates divorce, but I do want to caution because I know that, there, that, that we go through life and seasons, but listen, God does not hate those who have been through divorce. If you're in here today and you've been through a divorce, God always says the same thing. You drive life through the, the, the front window and you make tomorrow better. And you serve me today and tomorrow and I've forgiven you. And divorce is not the unpardonable sin. That God washes and cleanses and that you be free from that. You don't have a bondage or a yoke that tomorrow you can, and today you can continue to serve the Lord and love the Lord. But because of the heartbreak that the Father sees in heaven when people's lives are ripped apart through divorce, it, it does break his heart. And for that reason, the Bible has very strong language all the way throughout. From that, the, the verse that says God hates divorce, that's in the Old Testament. Jesus himself said some very, things, very um, strong things about divorce. And Jesus actually said in the area of divorce, he said, the only thing that I permit divorce for is in the area of sexual immorality. And then even then, it's not commanded or demanded that you have to have a divorce in the case of sexual immorality, that there is a possibility, and it's the most difficult of all marital problems to solve, and very few can actually navigate those waters and, and be healed and come through it. But, but I've seen a few, but that's, that, that's not, it's not that you have to, but you have grounds for divorce in the area of sexual immorality. It's the only thing that Jesus said was, was accepted. Now, um, I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. But there, there obviously, you know, we wouldn't counsel a woman who's being physically abused. And there are some extenuating circumstances where we'd never counsel a woman in that situation to stay in that marriage. You know, nine times out of ten, our, our end game is always reconciliation. You know, I read a study, and I love it. It came from Duke University. Um, which made it kind of bi unbiased to me because it wasn't coming from a pastor or a Christian perspective. And Duke University did a study, and they studied troubled marriages. And I don't remember how many cases it was and all that, but the sum of it was 
Um, they came back after five years and some of the troubled marriages got divorces and some of them stayed together and worked through their trouble. And what they found 100% of the times is that those that stayed married after five years were happier than those that divorced. And, and, and again, those that divorce, you, 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 know, you know that all the stuff that comes with that that, that just creates tr- um, trouble in, in marriage. All right, weren't we supposed to be talking about sex? How'd they get us into all that? So, um, so again, verses 3 and 4, because I did get off a little bit. Let, not the hu- let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So, listen, sex is not to be used as a weapon in your marriage. And it's not to be withheld to get your way. It's, it's, it's something that you're supposed to honor and, and you're supposed to, to give. And he says uh, one exception in the next verse. Look at what it says. Unless, do not deprive one another. Okay? Everybody say, do not deprive one another. Okay. Except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. How long can you guys fast? <laughs> I, I, I fast between lunch and dinner. I don't eat, you know, I fast good, you know. Um, so that's how, that's how long you can go without having sexual intimacy in your marriage, okay? However long you can fast. Because it's the only exception that Paul gives. Um, and, and again, it's consensual. It's, hey, let's come together. Maybe come a season like that, you know, where you want to just really get alone and sanctify and, and seek the Lord together. Maybe over a move, a job selection, uh, a, a death in the family, something. But then when that season, when that agreed time is over, then you come together. You know, I can brag about my wife, and this is where she warned me in the bathroom not to go here. But then she sent my sons over to help in children's ministry this morning. So she's like, your teenage boys will be in there, and you may be careful about you. 22 years, she's never said no to me because of this verse. She said, not now a bunch of times. <laughs> she said, not today a bunch of times. <laughs> no? So... um Again, if you guys, listen, men, if you have to take this verse and be like, the Bible says you have, you, you have to give me your body. I read it right here. And you're chasing your wife around the house quoting this verse. Like, first of all, you've missed the concept. You, you've missed the idea. Like, you owe me. I don't, I, got, I don't got too many Bible verses memorized, but I know what 1 Corinthians 7 says. You better get over here. It's not, it's not the idea. It's not a chokehold, an end-all, be-all. It, it is, listen, in, in, in its sincerity and in, in just in, in honesty, it's a concept that we don't use sex as a, as a tool in our marriage to fight, to withhold, to get what we want. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a weapon. It's a tool that God's given us to grow together. And we don't withhold it because of what it is. And, and you know, it's totally different. Now, now, on the, the, the other side, now, men, let me talk to you and, and be clear with you. It says in verse 3, let a husband render to his wife the affection due her. Let me tell you what, what, what that's not talking about, men. The affection due your wife has nothing to do with sexual intimacy. Because that's not what your wife finds attractive or, or that's not what turns your wife on. You know, that, that she, she has a completely different need and a completely different mindset. You know, men are like, uh, like a light switch, you know, all I need is, 
you know, turn, flip the light switch 10 o'clock at night. You know, I'm ready to go. I'll just flip the switch. Women are completely different. They're like a like an electric stove. They heat up very slowly. And then they cool down very slowly. You know, me, flip the switch, done, turn it off, I'm real good, you know. And, and so you understand, you know, how do you know if you're going to be sexually intimate at night with your wife? Well, how did breakfast go? Starts at breakfast and... If you did everything right and throughout the day, come 10 o'clock, then, then, then it's all right. But it doesn't start at 10 o'clock for your wife. And really, she doesn't have the physical need that you have for intimacy. She has an emotional need. So when the Bible says to render to your wife the affection that's due her, that means that you have to meet her needs emotionally. How does, how does your wife connect to you? We, and then we connect through sexual intercourse. That's it. We're, we're good. We're happy. Okay? For your wife... She connects through emotional um, communication and connection. What she needs is, is to feel one with you, to feel connected, that you've heard her, that you love her, that you've listened to her. And so you have to meet her emotional need, which will turn her on, which will make her available and open and willing to serve you. But, it, but if you've just been distant all day and gone and, not, and just not caring about what she's doing, and then all of a sudden you just show up Johnny on the spot like, okay, I'm ready. And you can't understand why she doesn't ever want to be with you. Hello. Did you bump your head? Did you, what did you fall out of and hit your head? Like you, it doesn't work that way, right, man? We're, we're honest. We understand that. So that affection that's due her in verse 3, they did a study. This, this will help understand, explain a little bit. It's in one of the books. The book is called His Needs, Her Needs, Dr. William Harding. And he, and he tried to come up with the five things that men most look for in a marriage and the five things that women look for in marriage. So let's start with the men. So the five things that men most look for in a marriage. What do you think number one is? You guys haven't learned anything. Some of you did. Number one thing that a man needs in looking for in a marriage is sexual fulfillment. Number one. Okay? And then number two is sexual fulfillment. Number three is sexual fulfillment. And then number four and five are success, sex, sexual fulfillment. No, I'm just kidding. But pretty much. So actually, here they are. Number one, sexual fulfillment. Number two, recreational companionship, which means he wants somebody to go camping and fishing with him and spend time with him, sit on the couch with him while he watches the Laker game and not talk as he puts his arm around you and, um, and, and just, just spends time with him and makes him feel respected and important. Number three, he wants an attractive spouse which means he wants you to look like a Victoria's Secret model while you bait his hook on that camping trip. And then number four, um, domestic support, which basically means he's looking for a maid. And then number five is admiration and praise because we got ego problems and we need you guys to help us out. Okay, for women, top five things women look for. Number one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My wife, my wife just commented, you didn't hear, but she said, no, that's only the smart women. <laughs> First time you marry for love, second time for money. Anything ever happened to me? Lydia said, I don't care what he looks like. I care if you have money. <laughs> Take care of me. No, I'm just kidding. So number one for women is affection. And another way to put that would be love. They want to be loved. They want to have they want to feel love. They want to feel affection. They want to feel touch. They want to feel warm. They want to feel number one. They want to feel, you know, affection. Number two, um, women said support and communication. Okay? Why? Because communication is how you show affection to your wife, man. 
you communicate with them, you listen to them. You know, Lydia and I, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of informal and at different seasons in our marriage, it's been, it's been formal. But the truth is, every day she comes home from work, we spend about half an hour and she tells me and she's talking the whole time. I'm just listening and trying to ask the right questions and trying not to blow it and trying to, am I supposed to solve it or just listen kind of thing, you know? And you don't, don't get that wrong, guys. Sometimes she wants you to listen and sometimes she wants you to solve it. You better know what the difference. Um, but she just tells me all about her day. The truth, this is the truth. I know all, I don't know if it's Dr. Horsley, as I say it, I know all the drama that goes on in that dental office. That was honest office. With every people and everything that comes home, like, I, I know, I can tell you the names of all the people she works with all the way down the line. But part of it is just, you know, it's just her, her she needs that part of her day to diffuse a little bit, to decompress. And, and, and then for me, the truth is it's, it's, a, it's work to listen and not be looking over her shoulder or watching ESPN when she's not looking on my phone or something. But to, because if I do that, and I used to do that, I made that mistake for a lot of years because Lydia was best friends with her mom and her and her mom were so close. Another complete different dynamic in marriage. But Lydia and her mom were so close. It created a little bit of problems, but um, instead of me having to put that half hour, hour in every day of just letting her talk and, and hearing the details, because it's not, it doesn't work if, you just, if she just talks and I don't actually process. Because she'll know. She'll, she'll dime me out of being phony. You actually have to process all that information, be able to recite it back and all that. What happened when we were, when we were newly married is I figured out a trick that I, I would just let her call her mom because her mom was, was really into it and would really care and really listen and let her talk. And then she could talk, 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 talk to her mom. I could watch the game. I didn't have to put in that part. She could come see me at 10 o'clock. Life was good. Until one day, something really exciting happened in her life. And she said she picked up the phone, and she didn't know who to call first, me or her mom. Ah, my heart was broken. Why wouldn't she call me? Why? Because I didn't put the work in. Her mom cared. Her mom was there for her. Her mom listened to her all the time. Her mom was invested emotionally in her life. It was what she needed. And, I, and at that day, I said, change. I said, I want to be your best friend. And I'm going to start investing in those conversations. They're hard, and they don't mean nothing to me. And I don't care about her cousin's uncle's neighbor's mailman. <laughs> but I sure am going to care now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be invested in that part of her life because, because I don't ever want that to happen again, for her not to know who to call first. And so I started investing in that, and it took some time, took some years, you know. Um, through that process, Lydia's mom went home to be with the Lord. She died from pancreatic cancer, and, um, and, and I think we reached a season, maybe after 10, 11 years of marriage, where I really felt like for the first time it wasn't just something we said. It was true. It was honest that I was her best friend. And that, you know, and so, and, then, and again, and I've done well in seasons and not so well in other seasons, but have tried to know that that's how I make my marriage. One of the ways I really make my marriage well is I really have to invest in that emotional investment for Lydia. Um, number three, it says that women want honest and open communication. Hold on. Number two was supporting communication. Number three is honest and open communication. Yeah, it's a double need. That's how important it is in their life, man. It's that important in their lives that you're invested in them emotionally. It is that, that it's, it's two of the five. And then uh, the fourth one is a woman's looking for support financially. Women have all have a disease. It's called mollusis or something like that. Or 
credit communicated the disease or something. And then the last um, one the women were looking for in marriage was uh, family commitment. They want a husband who's committed to their family, to their kids, and, and to their, their life. So for men, sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, attractive spouse, domestic support, admiration, praise. For women, affection, supporting communication, open and honest communication, um, support financially, and family commitment. All right. I told you guys there was no way we were going to be done on time. But we got about 10 minutes left, and we're going to jam. So where are we at? Um, verse 6. Let's go verse 6. Hey, so never mind. We've got to just go on. We covered 4 and 5, men, women. We don't deprive. We don't use it as a tool. The more you have, the better your marriage is. Fix it. Figure it out. Um, and then in verse 6, I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Verse 7, as I draw your attention there, Paul says, I wish you were as I was. How was he? Paul was celibate. Now, Paul had to have been married at one point in his life. He even had, um, he had the, the, the right or the God-given ability to get married because at one place in the Bible he says, you know, that I can get married, Peter's married, and the others are married, and I have that, that, uh, that right if I wanted to. But Paul made a choice. Now, Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin before he was a Christian. In order to be a member of the Sanhedrin in the Jewish culture, the 70 um, count, member of council of 70 members made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, the governing party, the Senate, and the Congress of Jesus' day, Paul was a member. In order to be a member, you had to be 30 years old and you had to be married. So Paul was definitely married at one point, but we have no record of Paul's wife. So at some point along the way, Paul's, Paul's wife disappears. Some believe maybe she died. Some believe after he came home from the trip to Damascus um, to kill Christians and said, oh, I went to kill Christians and then I became one. That she said, I'm out of here. I don't want nothing to do with that. As a Jewish woman, who knows? So we don't really know. Um, others say that she followed Paul into ministry, but because of Paul's schedule, she lived in one place and Paul continued to travel and he lived a life of celibacy. That, that's speculation at best. But he, he, nonetheless, Paul's wife is gone and Paul lived a life of celibacy for his entire ministry. Now his ministry and his life, as you guys know, as, we've, as, we, as we have followed the Apostle Paul very closely, it was very grueling. He, he, he constantly was in jail. He was constantly shipwrecked and beaten and, and traveling. And it just wasn't a schedule that was conducive to the, the ins and outs of married life. And so for the reason and for Paul's ministry, it was better for him to stay single um, so that he could travel and do ministry. When um, Lydia's mom went home to be with the Lord, Pastor Gerald, her dad, he just kind of in his mind, now he did get remarried as, as we probably all know now, but um, God, God opened the door and, and it happened and it was such an amazing um, blessing and the way God worked it out miraculously. But he went through a season right after Cindy died and, and he traveled to Afghanistan, one of the most hardest places in the world to do ministry. And he went to Dubai and he, he went to um, Peru. And so in the jungles, like mud up to his knees, like headhunters and sharing the gospel and just did missions trips. And he was now single and um, could do those things that, that, that a wife can do. So one of the things Paul is saying is that, you know, for ministry reasons and for the lifestyle that some of us lead as, as traveling missionaries, maybe it's better for you to not take a, a wife, a husband. Okay? It doesn't make you more spiritual. That's, that's key in this scripture. If you get married, it's fine. 
If you don't get married, now here's the key, and I, I want to be careful how much I, I speak on this, but I do want to cover it. Paul says it's a gift. The, the gift of celibacy is a gift. Now, praise God, I don't have that gift because I don't want it. It's cool. I'm happy to be married. I love my wife. Um, but here, here's what's happened in history that has created a huge problem for God's people in the church. In certain circles, they force celibacy upon ministers. And they say you have to be celibate to, to serve this ministry. You can't take a wife or have kids. But unless that individual has been given a gift by God to, to celibacy, they're going to have the same natural desires that you and I have for companionship, for intimacy. And because they entered into a life of celibacy without a gift of God, it ended up in some perversions. And because the, the desire was still there and it was being suppressed, we had huge, huge, huge scandals and, and, and perversions that took place and that gave the church a black eye. Because this is a gift. If, if, how do you know you have the gift? You, you, just, you just do. You just don't desire the, a, a relationship. You're serving God. You're traveling. Lydia and I, we, we had two different, I can think of two off the top of my head, different missionaries. One of them was a woman, and she was, she was Lydia's age. And, and right out of high school, she began to travel. And Jenny Shobrin, and she, she was doing ministry, and she was beautiful. And she just never had a boyfriend. She just never really had a desire, but she was traveling to foreign countries. She was doing Bible translations into different languages, doing phenomenal things for the Lord. She was all over the place. And just, she just had a gift. She, she had a gift of celibacy because she just didn't have the desire. Well, she did that for like 15, 17 years, and then she got married. So it was cool. Like she reached a season where, where, where then she entered into marriage. And today she's, she's married. I think of other missionaries I know who, who the same thing have just traveled. Um, with that gift. And so, but it's a gift, okay? For some, if you have it, then God's given it to you for a reason. And then in verse number eight, it says, um, but I say to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. How is Paul? Celibate, unmarried. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay? So, the, this a lot of guys quote this verse. I remember a guy telling me, oh, better to marry than to burn with passion. Like it was some excuse to, you know, I don't know, chase women and, you know, that he, to, to, to have this passion. But it is the truth. And what he's saying here, to burn with passion, some have said, oh, that means burn in hell. No, that's not anything in context of what it says. It has nothing to do with that. It just, it just means this. It means that if you don't have a gift of celibacy, and you have natural God-given desires for companionship, you're going to burn with passion. You're going you're to want to exercise those beliefs. And if that's who you are, Paul says it's better just to get married than to burn with passion. Why? Because of the perversions that are going to take place in, in your life in order to meet those needs. And, and, and that's why just it's better just to get married in that case and admit that, you know, and listen, I, I tell single people this all the time. You don't ever, ever apologize for wanting a husband or a wife. God gave you that desire. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but the key is, is that you don't seek a husband or a wife necessarily. They're not having anything to do with, you know, dating and those kinds of things. That's what I'm talking about. But here is the biblical principle overall. Matthew 6, 33, what's it say? Seek what? First, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then, really magical Greek word, and then 
all these things shall be added unto you. What are all these things? All the things that pertain to godliness in life. And, and in all of those things is a spouse, is, is a wife. Now, unfortunately, you know, the Bible, and, and again, you guys, don't, you have to catch where we're going to head here in a minute in context, but the Bible does tell us, and there's, there's an understanding, biblical understanding from Corinthians, that believers are not to be unequally yoked with non-believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not to marry, you are not to date, you are not to seek relationships with somebody that's outside your faith. It's a huge problem. And I see so many people in the church, they just ignore it. And, and, and I don't, maybe because they're impatient. Maybe because they don't trust that God can bring them a Christian bride or, or, or husband. Listen, I'm going to encourage you. God will bring you the right person, but you have to wait. You will make the biggest mistake of your life. You can't be unequally yoked. How can darkness and light walk together, Paul says? You're already moving in different directions. When you have children... Guess what? That's going to become a huge problem of how they baptize the children and where, how, what kind of faith they're going to be in. You, you cannot take darkness and light and mix them together. And God is, as a child that He loves, He's trying to spare you from so many problems. And listen, trust God. Let me tell you, don't apologize. Don't get impatient. It's okay that you have a desire. It's okay that you want relationship. But God will bring it when it's right. And don't rush it. And do not be unequally yoked together non-believers. It's a mistake. Amen? And that's for your good because God loves you. He's a good, good father. He knows your needs. He's not denying your needs. He's not saying they're bad. He might just be saying, not now. You just got to wait. But trust me. And guess what the whole Bible is full of? Stories to encourage you that God will show up. God showed up for Abraham. God showed up for Isaac. God showed up for Jacob. And over and over and over again, God brought the right person at the right time, but the people had to wait on God's timing. And maybe the reason is God's still working in your heart and he needs to fix something in you. Because if he brings the right person today, you'll just mess it up. You'll just run them off. So just so focus on Jesus and, he, and trust him that he'll do it. Now in verse number 10, it says, now to, the, now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. Pretty simple, right? Can you guys make can't mess that one up too bad, right? Pretty, pretty simple. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and the husband is not to divorce his wife. So again, we don't, we don't ever counsel in the area of divorce. We're always counsel reconciliation. It's for this reason. It's biblical reasons that, that God doesn't want us to divorce. And he says, if you do divorce, just know that you're, you're, the vow that you made, God is going to hold you under that, and you're not to remarry unless you reconcile with that person later. And so if you entered a divorce and with the understanding that I'm never going to remarry again, but that's just not the reality. You know, we, you still are going to have that desire. That would be like trying to enter into this celibate life without that gift. But, but, but again, very strong language here to make a point, you know. And again, God uses strong languages in these areas because he, he wants us to know that if in divorce, both have sinned. And it's not God's heart. It's not God's will he, that, that he wants us to reign, remain together and heal it and get it better because in five years and three years from now, if you restore, you'll be much happier and better. And then he says in verse number 12, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. 
For the unbelieving husband is, is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are clean. Now, this happens a lot. Now, what Paul's going to deal with is, now, first of all, we're not supposed to be unequally yoked, okay? A believer and a non-believer, it's against God's word, it's for your best. Um, but what happens oftentimes is, you know, two people get married, neither one are believer, one of them comes, they, they come to church, a friend invites them, they get saved, and now you have a situation where you have one believer and one unbeliever in the home. We had that happen here. We had it happen often. Um, we had a, a gal get saved in our church, and she started coming, she started growing, she started going to ladies' study, and then she came to Lydia for counsel because somebody told her husband, now that your wife is starting to go to church, that church is going to counsel your wife to divorce you because you're not a believer. And she came to Lydia and she said, you know, well, what's up with that? And Lydia could take her right here to this chapter and this verse and say, that is not what the Bible says. That is not what God's counsel is. Well, we're, well, the Bible says I'm not supposed to be unequally yoked and now I'm unequally yoked. But you're in a unique situation because you, neither one of you were believers. And if you're already in a marriage, no matter how you got there, you're supposed to stay in that marriage. And, and, and so what the Bible says is that you, it, you don't divorce in that situation that you stay and and you minister and it's going to go on and say you don't know if that you'll be the one who will lead that person to Jesus and also says if there's children in the home in in verse number 14 you have to be there you have to be there to read them Bible stories and encourage them and love them and so you're supposed to stay in that marriage but listen to what it says in verse 15 but if so you're supposed to stay but if the unbeliever departs everybody say let him Everybody say, bye-bye. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. So, um, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such case, and basically you can remarry under no, no bondage from the Lord. Now listen, if, if the unbeliever wants to leave, this is in the Greek, it's a commandment, you have to let him go. Now I think there's some practical reasons for that. If you, because here, here's, here's what's the bigger problem, you guys, in, in the situation where one person becomes a believer and the other person is not a believer. The believer begins to compromise their walk with God and God still has to be first. You become a believer now? Yes, you want to honor your marriage. Even though it's not a believer, you want to love and respect and do everything you're supposed to do to be a good witness and a good husband or a good wife to the non-believer. Until, here's what happens, that that's getting threatened and they don't like who you're becoming. They liked it better when you went to the bar with them. They liked it better when you slept in on Sunday mornings and, you know, you watched the movies that they're watching and do the, you know, crazy things they're doing. They liked you better that way. And then, and then, the, and then the believer stops going to church because it's creating problems, stops reading the Bible. No, that's not what you do. You lovingly, you, here's what you do. You love them. You invite them. You pray for them. And every Sunday morning you get up, you say, I'm going to church. Would you like to go with me today? No, I ain't going to church with you. Okay, I love you. Hey, I'll be back. We'll have lunch when I get home. I'll make you lunch when I get home. And you, and you love them and you encourage them. What you don't do is go to church and come home. Well, I went to church and my pastor said, you don't know Jesus, so you're going to hell. No, you don't do that. It's not going to work. You love them. You love, 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 love them because Paul says, you don't know that they're, going to, that, that they're not going to get saved. And you know, women in the situation, or men, but you know, in a situation where they have a husband who's not a believer, you know, they try all these weird stuff to force him to become a Christian. And, you know, they make him lunch and he gets to, to work and he takes a bite of his sandwich and there's paper in the middle. And he like pulls it out with some Bible verse or something, you know, like that's not going to work. Don't tell him he's going to hell and put tracks in his, in his ham sandwich. 
Be an example of Jesus. Love him. Go to church, but don't compromise. Continue to take the children to church. Continue to grow in your relationship with the Lord. Because too often times, the bigger problem is that they, they just they get afraid uh, of that thing. And if they want to stay, they, 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 you, you let them stay and you serve them and you love them. If they want to leave, if the unbeliever wants to leave, you do what? You have to let them leave. And you can't chase them. And, and, and so then, then that's the, the biblical narrative for it. All right, we, we are out of time. I was hoping to cover 17 verses. Did we do that? We got two more. All right, worship team, uh, come on up. Let's go ahead and close in the song. You know we're a few minutes late. And it says, um, verse 16, for, for how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So again, um, the, the, the purpose is to save. You know what we see so many times? Can you guys? If, if that wife or that husband continues in their commitment to God and continues to love the Lord and serve the Lord, Eventually, the unbelieving spouse comes to Jesus. Happens a lot. You know, and, and as far as your kids are concerned, you know, the wife does not supposed to tell your husband, oh, you're going to hell. You're supposed to love him and encourage him. But bring your kids to church and your kids are going to go to Sunday school. And they're going to paint pictures of Jesus. And they're going to do things in Sunday school. And they're going to come home. And the unbelieving spouse is going to be there. And they're going to still love their kids. And they're going to say, oh, what'd you do? Daddy, I drew a picture of Jesus. And if you don't know him, Daddy, you're going to go to hell. Daddy, do you want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior? And the kids are going to witness. And eventually they'll, they'll come to Jesus. And you continue to pray. You know what I say, always say is the most powerful thing on planet Earth is, is the power of a praying mom, the power of a praying wife, power of a praying husband for somebody in your family who's an unbeliever. Continue to pray for them. Amen? All right, let's stand together. Hey, um... No matter where you are in your in your walk or in your marriage, um, today's chapter is about marriage. It's you know it's funny because it's not necessarily the the Bible verses on how to have a good marriage. That's in Ephesians chapter five. This is Paul answering some questions that they were asking, but it covers so much of marriage. You know, and we we do counseling here. We love to counsel. Our counseling is just pointing people to Jesus. That's all we do. It's nothing fancy. I've all made you guys all a hundred times biblical counselors. If you guys can do this and point somebody to Jesus, everybody put your index finger up and point to Jesus. Okay, hold it up and I'm going to officially ordain you. Chuck, Chuck, Bindu, sign of the cross. Holy water, you're all now Christian counselors. You can point people to Jesus. That makes you a Christian counselor. And that's what we do. We do have some effective ways. You know what we just did today was, you know, the more of this we do, the less counseling I have to do because we just did a big counseling session. Okay? And, and here's the other thing that happens more times than not. People come in for counsel to check a box. And I've done this. Don't waste my time anymore. Okay? I've had enough of my time wasted with this nonsense. They don't have any desire to reconcile or get well. They, they've already, oftentimes they've already got in bed with somebody else. Then they call me and they say, can we counsel? They show up with their husband or their wife so that when, the, when they, they follow through with their plan, they can say, oh, well, I tried counseling. Listen, if you're not willing to do what the Word of God says, you're going to fail. And what I'm going to tell you in counseling is we're going to open the Bible and we're going to find a verse somewhere that says what God says to do and I'm going to encourage you and try to love you to tell you it's what's best for you. To do what God's Word says to do. It's hard. It's, it's not easy. No, it's not supposed to be easy. But it's what's best for you. Do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. 
you're in a marriage, stay in your marriage and fix it. If you want to be married, God's got somebody for you. He'll bring them in his time. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and a beautiful hot wife, guys, will be added to your life. That's what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians. But God will do it. Trust him. He'll bring her. He'll bring him. Amen? Amen. We love you guys so much. Hey, uh, we'll be up front to pray. You guys want to come up and pray with folks? Kevin and Darlene. Oh, um, actually, the yeah, come on up, babe. The um, prayer room is open today. I was supposed to make that announcement. I forgot. So listen, one of the things I want to encourage you, I don't care where you are in life. If God spoke to you somewhere today, um, when you leave these doors, if you make a right, you're going to head to the parking lot. If you make a left, you guys can take that side, sorry. Oh, Josh is over there too. Oh, we got too many. Um, is the prayer room open, Darlene? Are, are we opening the prayer room? Okay, so, okay, so when you leave out of here, make a left and go out to the conference room and there will be people there that would love to pray for you. Take advantage of that. It's Sunday. This is God's day. Don't be in such a rush to get out of here every Sunday. Allow 10 minutes for God's spirit to, to continue to work in your heart and life. I'm always available after church. I usually stand out in front of the cafe. If you want me to pray for you or talk to you about anything, I'm happy to. There's lots of folks here that love Jesus and will do just as good a job as I will because we're just pointing you to Jesus. But we encourage you. You know, we, we sing this last song. We encourage you to worship during this last song and not take off so fast. But again, if you'd like individual prayer, you can come up. Pastors and leaders are up front to pray for you. If you want um, to go to the prayer room when you're done here, go, go and, uh, pray and, and pray with somebody there. Amen? Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. Father, we thank you for marriages. Lord, we pray for your healing. Um, we pray for your love. Lord, each one of us desire to have a good marriage. And Lord, your word gives us the tools. Husbands, love our wives as Christ loved the church. If there's problems in our marriage, it's probably because we as men are not loving our wives like we're supposed to. And wives are to respect their husbands. And Lord, as Christian husband, I should have the desire to meet my wife's needs and to serve her. And as a Christian wife, she should have the desire to meet my needs. And Lord, if that desire is lacking, I pray that you would encourage us in that area. Encourage me, Lord, to, to really do things practical for my wife that she needs and to love her as Christ loved the church. And Lord, I, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. I love you guys.